Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And this week on the podcast, we're talking to Luke, a.k.a. Limithron, who, among his many accomplishments, has just released Pirate Borg. Welcome to the show, Luke. Ahoy, mateys. How'd it be going? What if you talk like that? Welcome aboard. (laughs) I guess you're welcoming me aboard, right? Uh, That's right. (laughs) Thanks for having me aboard there, lads. Absolutely. So excited to have you on. So yeah, let's get started with Pirate Borg. I saw you at Gen Con. I saw your booth. There was tons of buzz. I picked up the premium copy. And as I was reading it, I was like, this is so cool. I cannot wait to play it. So tell us everything we need to know. Have you played it yet? No, I've been digging through it and I'm like texting Aaron. I'm like, dude, oh, nice. there's, there's this the, the, this oh. concept, Ash. When I read yeah. about that, I was like, that's brilliant. There's a whole yeah. economy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we want to hear you tell it. Well, why, where do you where do you want me to start? It's such a broad question that I've answered. Just many give us times, some quick, so. yeah, just quick hits. Overview. Okay, so Mork, Morkborg, well, let me back up. I was playing my fifth edition Pirates of the Caribbean campaign called Tales from the Caribbean. And I got inspired to run this campaign after I'd started playing a little bit of 5e and I went, I was on a work trip down in South America and I visited this old fort that had like all these old cannons and stuff. I was like, dude, I I love, always love pirates. Like I used to play a ton of pirates of the Spanish main, the little punch out game. And I love the lore in that game. Even like I was into pirates way before the movies came out, you know? And I was like, I'm going to run this sweet like 5e campaign. And I was running it. And then COVID hit and like I, we switched to online and I started drawing these digital maps to like make, you know, the game work to flow better online. And of course I was doing like historically accurate ships. Um, And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're playing in the, if you're in the battle map circuit, like there's tons of galleons, for example, they're easy. Maybe some, a lot of sloops, but like, it's really hard to find a like third rate ship of the line or a flute or like all these different things. So I started taking other kits and bashing them together and coming up with the, the, the ships that I needed for my campaign. And well, when COVID hit, like I kind of lost my, my other industry went away. I do concert lighting and that was like evaporated overnight. So I started doing this Patreon where I would like make these maps and release them to people who were also running like seafaring campaigns. And we got kind of over, I got overwhelmed with, cause I was just working all the time and prepping a campaign, like a normal fifth, fifth edition DM does, you know, with assets for everything and planning everything out. And I got burnt out. So we took a break and one of my players ran a couple of weeks of Morkborg for us. And I think it was the most fun. I think to this day, it's still maybe the most fun I've ever had playing a role-playing game just because it subverted all of our expectations. You know, you can have one hit point, like you can get your ability <laughs> scores swapped. You can, it's just like, it's so grim dark that it's almost like gallows humor, you know? And they have the best, I know I'm giving a long-winded answer here, but uh, they have the best third-party license in the industry, which is basically you can do whatever you want, including copy mechanics from the book, as long as you don't copy the like lore text or any of the art. And my buddy and I were joking like, hey man, this would, we could hack this for pirates and it would be perfect. Cause like I was doing all these hacks for 5e where level cap at six, you can't take this class, you know, like long rest can't happen at sea, like all these little tweaks to make it fit and feel like a pirate game. And like Morkborg felt like that out of the gate, except that it, you know, had scrolls, I guess. So I started hacking it and I was going to make a zine in 
and the zine grew to like a small book then to a big book and then we went to kickstarter and it did like life-changingly well so then it ended up like really just putting a ton of extra work into it and we ended up at like 168 pages i think and yeah that's like that's like our flagship thing now everything we're doing is like revolving around pirate borg and we just had a talk like a pirate day where it came out internationally in stores and we've got a, a program where gms can um run games for the public and earn points to get cool stuff so yeah that's that's my elevator pitch my long one that's awesome yeah i'm actually looking to get to have brian try out more borg i've actually played a few sessions of it and great great game i mean it's a lot of fun so i can see why that'd be a great driver i'm really certain excited to get started on pirate borg as well yeah i mean it's it's weird they're actually pretty different games i mean obviously it's called pirate borg and it's a hack sure. of mork borg but like Morkborg is basically BX D&D with a few minor tweaks, a few quality of life tweaks, and then like taking out all the like, you know, advancement charts and replacing them with like random tables for your PCs. But like the core, you're rolling 3D6 down the line to get your ability modifier. You're rolling a D20 and adding your modifier. I mean, like the core there is there is pretty basic, the skeleton, if you will. But nice. like the thing that's different about Pirate Borg is that like everybody understands like how to talk like a pirate everybody's yeah. seen pirates of the caribbean like you can sit down a group with a group of like totally not role players and like just say like hey talk like a pirate and roll on all these tables to learn like how shitty your pirate is <laughs> and then like do whatever you would want to do as a pirate and like that's a little harder for like a new like if i'm like okay you are a, a like terrible orphan in a like dying world and you live in a medieval city like what do you want to do? And that, like, well, the some people Cry. are like, yeah, I don't, why do I even want to live? Like the world's, we know the world's ending. Like, yes. Can we stop it? No. Like, well, okay. Like, and I think if you're into that, that, which I am, obviously, if you're into that, like dark metal, grim, dark vibe, great. But the, diff, the, the thing about Pyroborg is like, while the dark Caribbean is a grim, dark setting, it's really easy to just not put it in the dark Caribbean. Like I actually have people who are like, we want to do a one piece thing or we want to do more of a like sea of thieves pirates of the Caribbean, you know, or like my wife thinks I should do a kid's version because it's pretty easy to be like, okay, instead of like the skeleton being scary, it's like an animated skeleton. And then boom, you're, you know, Oh, and you've got one leg and you're haunted and you're actually not a human. You're a, a parrot. And you know, <laughs> like you can, it's just really easy to like play that out in your imagination. Uh, and yeah, that's, the end of that thought, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So I guess take us back to when you're a, a wee cabin boy. When did you get interested in all the nautical stuff and gaming? Oh, man, I would say nautical specifically is probably a more recent thing. But pirates is like maybe my oldest fascination that I can remember. I, You know, my parents took me to Disney World when I was a kid. Mm. And I love that ride. I mean, I loved I remember the smell of it. And I remember like that the pirates don't they're not. Like, it's not really a kid's ride. Like, they're not friendly people. And, like, you get to Tortuga and they're, like, drunk and, like, yeah. wenches yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And that's, I'm not into that part of it. But, like, I, I'm, in, I'm into the, like, dark mystery part of it. Like, the mm -hmm. idea of, like, it's, you know, the classic Treasure Island. Like, it's storming and, like, an old pirate walks in and he's got a map and then he dies. And it's, like, there's, like, that kind of macabre like mystery to it i i just it has always fascinated me and then you mix that with 
you know, the dark stormy mystery vibe. You mix that with the like beautiful, like tranquil waters. Like, I mean, the Caribbean is like one of the best natural places to visit in the world. Like it's, there's a reason it's such a tourist place. It, it's just, so you mix those two together and you get, you get this like very uh, imaginative world to live in where you can be like, I want to be there, but there, there are things happening there that I would never want to happen to me personally, but they're fun from a story standpoint, you know? So like I, for some reason I, that really captivated me as a kid. And as I got older, it just kept becoming a thing. Like I had Legos, Lego uh, pirate sets. And I had, you know, then I, and after high school, I played the pirates of the Spanish main game and actually won a tournament at Gen Con. And then, you know, there's Assassin's Creed black flag. I a hundred percent of that, like all these things that have gone on through my life that have just, I, I always keep going back to that trope. And now it's literally like my my livelihood. <laughs> so, yeah, to hear you talk about it, all it your me... dreams to kids. And you... <laughs> Go, so to hear you talk about it, it, it makes me think of the escapism component of pirates, and kind of parallel with maybe like old west, where it's like I don't in my real life I don't want to live that, but I want to imagine myself where I'm completely free. Yes. To get drunk and fall down in an alley and steal and pillage and all these types of things. So yeah, the audience is like ready made and the desire for that fantasy component. Yes. I mean, I think it's like escapist in one way or another. And, you know, I'm like, it's kind of like, screw you world. Like, yeah, I, I've now I do that for a living, you know? So it's like, it is a way to, you can be an escapist permanently if you want. But like the the pirate in the like the fantasy pirate setting is like you said perfect for that because there's so much exploration and like from a gaming component both video games and tabletop role playing games having a ship and like an open map is like just so even if the GM's going to steamroll you behind the screen just the ability to be like I want to go off the edge or I want to go here you know yeah it's just so exciting and I I think that. Pirate Borg, you know, like a lot of people who come in, I see a lot of reviews would be like, oh, this is a great game for Pirate One Shot. Well, like, yeah, it is. But also, like, you don't need 20, like, 20 levels in a, like, 200-page book, player handbook to tell you how to, like, level up your pirate to play in a pirate campaign for three years. Like, you just need to explore and uncover the world, you know? And I think that this game can be that vehicle i mean i made it that way because i want that vehicle where it's like it's not crunchy with rules but like there are 18 ships that you can run into just in the you know core book so like there's always opportunities to upgrade your ship and then build a fleet and then take over a town and like it's sid meyer's pirates but in a role-playing game you know so cool i love this concept of i want to go over the edge. Like I want to go to the unknown. And one of those components for sure. me, which is why I chose this creature behind me, what are some of your favorite nautical monsters and creatures and things like that? Because to me, that's a really alluring part of this whole world as well. Yeah. I mean, some of my, I mean, you know, I think that 20,000 leagues is for anybody, you know, my age or younger or older, actually probably for anybody who watched or read, watched that movie or read that book, just the idea of the, this you know, tentacled underwater thing is pretty captivating, I think. But then if you extend that a step further, like The Abyss is one of my favorite movies. And the idea that there's this like underwater alien race is really cool to me. I also just recently finished playing Subnautica, which is an incredible, incredible video game where you basically crash land on a, a all water planet and you have to, like, you know, it's like a survival game where you have to collect 
little pieces of technology to build bigger and bigger, you know, things like eventually you could build a big submarine. But like, you know, when you start that game, you think it only goes to like a hundred meters, you know? And then you're like, Oh wait, no, now I can, now I can go to 200 meters. And like, Spoiler, but by the end of the game, you're at like 5,000 meters underwater and you find these new biomes and everyone has a different kind of sea creature. Like, I eat that stuff up, man. I, I go to aquariums as much as I can. And I just, there's something so alien about a place that's so close to us, you know? So cool. That's cool. I love Subnautica too. That's a great game. I I started there, I think, yeah. on, I think, the beta of it. And then finally, whenever they finished it, I mean, it's oh, nice. a lot of fun. And then even so you, you played back when you had the, you played back when you had the like, you know, tool where you could like make things appear in front of you. Right? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I never, I've never played that way. I've always had to like, wait, there's a, I remember being like, wait, there's a submarine. Like, Oh, oh like, Oh, there's a bigger submarine. Like, it's like exactly. it seems obvious in hindsight, but yeah, that game, oh man. So it's a blast a cool game. So when, you know, your players are in, in this game that you've created, uh, what sort of challenges do they normally deal with when they're navigating the high seas in your modules? And then kind of, how do you bring those into gameplay? Well, well, I mean, I think a lot of the obvious ones are there. Surviving is hard. Uh, you know, you can start with one or two hit points. It's a little more survivable than normal Morkborg, but, but sur just surviving is, is a challenge in Pyroborg sometimes. I think, you know, Running into undead is a big part of the setting. The Dark Caribbean, uh, as we mentioned before the show started, has this component called Ash, where basically all the un all, all the humanoid type creatures that might have been in the Caribbean were all vanished, at least on the islands when when the Europeans arrived. And they built these giant cities. And I like, you know, my pitch for the setting is that you've got these derelict ships and you've got these massive temples that are and are both just filled with treasure like there's so much treasure there but like it's kind of hard to get out because it turns out there's this presence called the scourge which is like the undead presence which is you know guess what well that's why there aren't any other uh humanoids in the area um but but like the all those things combined. Oh, so the big thing with with the with the scourge is when you kill them, when you destroy them, they leave behind this ectoplasmic dust called ash, which is like I describe it as like it's like magic mushrooms meets spice from Dune. You know, um, I love that. Not when, yeah, when I first started reading it, I was like, this is so cool. It's just been like in my head for the past couple of days. I'm like, ash. Yeah, there's this stuff called ash. It's just, I think it's one of those things, like, I almost don't remember coming up with it because it was just, I needed a reason, like, well, why do they even stay in this undead infested Caribbean? Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, what if there's like a thing that they need, you know? And and now in my, in my mind's eye, there's like, there's ash dens, like you go to Tortuga and there's like this yes. green, blue glowing tavern with like hookah, but it's not hookah, it's ash, you know? And it's like... One of the things about ashes, if you're if you're an addict, your your teeth and bones slightly glow green, you know. And and so oh, I'm working cool. on, I'm working on a spread right now for the Dark Caribbean, which is my, my next book, and I'm coming up with like ash den ideas, you know. And one of them is called Glow, which is like the like posh, like super, like you know, almost like Matrix dressed pirates, but like they're pretty baller rich, so like all of their teeth glow, you know, like it's like one of those places where you yeah. don't really know if you want to hang out there you know it's such um, a cool so, image yeah. too like you're in a dark you're in a dark tavern you can barely see the figure in front of you and then he smiles and this like radiant yep. green blue glow yeah yeah or i could see like you know if stars or like max made a show of the dark caribbean and they'd have the like you know adult scenes where like 
the girls' skeletons glow when they're, you know, that kind of thing. If you're yeah, into that. yeah, yeah. There's there's so much room for interpretation. But yeah, so you can imagine with the things I just said, all the kinds of like encounters that your players might have, they're going to try to find Ash. They're going to risk their lives to fight things they would normally never fight to recover this very valuable substance. They might get raided by other pirates or the Spanish Armada or the English might come after them. They might have an all night bender experimenting with Ash. And yep, there's a table for that, you know. So yeah, yeah uh, there's just... That. Yeah, basically you take everything that you saw in like a normal Pirates of the Caribbean type swashbuckler movie, you can have all those things and then you can mix in all, all the like evil dead army of darkness kinds of things. Yeah. And then the other like third pillar to that would be that you've got this kind of eldritch Lovecraftian horror element where the magic in the, in the Pirate Borg is a little bit more slanted to the, the like, you know, dark fantasy side where, you know, if you cast a ritual incorrectly, the Kraken might show up, but the players don't know that, you know? So, and that mixes with your other question about the deep sea creatures is like, you don't have to stick to just ones that we know about on earth. Like the idea is that there's this abyss that opens south of Havana and these eldritch underworld creatures that we haven't seen in ever in human history show up. And then, you know, your pirates can't survive at all. So, you know, you can take it wherever you want, but I wanted to really like put in all those different, I guess tropes and and categories that I've always loved to explore and read. So yeah, that's so cool. Going back for a minute to your the kind of origins in Five E, I also picked up your nautical rules for Five E. And Aaron and I are planning a Five E. Oh yeah, one shot weekend where we're going to utilize those. And I think that that book, that little, it's a smaller set of rules for Five E. I think is really incredible. Yeah. So one of the things that, one of the questions that we had about it, and you'd mentioned this just a little bit, but the tweaks you made to 5e in order to make Mm -hmm. that happen. And one of the ones I think that you list as optional is weather, but I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about, you know, some of the tweaks you made and any tips for us as DMs that are about to run that in a 5e campaign, those rules. Yeah. Well, so the thing you're talking about is called Limithron's Guide to naval combat and it's basically the result of all of my years of pirate campaigns and pirate video games and pirate and naval board games war games too and and naval combat is very tricky in a role-playing game and i i I will confidently and somewhat you know arrogantly say that most people don't get it and i think we cracked it but i think the the thing is that when people start to design rule systems like that they'll often try to make them too realistic or a very common, I think, mistake, if you will, is to say, is to give the players ranks or like positions on the ship that they mm. always take. And then what happens is in combat, the guy that's good at shooting always shoots. And the guy that is good at steering always steers. And it becomes this thing where like one guy's kind of in charge. And then, you know, it just doesn't really, you know, flow like a role playing game should. And it can very quickly evolve or devolve into a war game where you're spending way too much time measuring distances and doing turns and thinking about how to get your ship in the right place and not like role-playing what's going on. Hmm. So Limithron's Guide to Naval Combat has a system where basically the captain, who could be an NPC, but we suggest that a player is in control of that role, the captain doesn't get to do anything on the ship. They just get to assign these action points. And then every round, all the captains, every round, all the captains roll initiative at the top of the round. And this is very reminiscent of like war games where like you have to pick your move before you 
see how the battle unfolds because that's kind of how it would be. So the captains decide what action points they want to use. You could say shoot or I want to do an extra turn or whatever. And then after initiative unfolds, when it gets to the ship, the players on the ship decide which of those actions they will carry out. And any any actions that aren't covered, the NPCs carry out. Of course, players get their bonuses to the roles, so it makes it this like there's an element of strategy, but everybody's involved, and there's something for everybody to do every turn. Yeah, uh, and if you have strengths or weaknesses, it modifies things, you know. So, so as you can see, it's already kind of crunchy. I think it's about it's less crunchy than maybe normal five E overall, but probably a little bit more crunchy than regular na- na- regular melee combat until you at least know how it works because there's a canu- some new systems to learn. So we found that like if you add wind to that. Especially if you're with like non war gamery gamers, like it can be too much. Like, okay. oh no, you can't move three hexes; it's cut in half because of the wind, or like you're in the wind's eye. So, like, it's optional because it's a role playing game. The point is for the characters to like and like develop their own story, not to play a war game that will you know could potentially wipe your players out. Right, and be um, bound by physics or weather yeah, and things like that. Yeah. That makes that makes perfect sense. And I think you do make that clear in the in the rules. I was just yeah. wondering, like, kind of how you arrived at that. That's really cool. Yeah, but you know, the thing is that if you're going to be playing a naval game, like a wind is a huge part of the strategy. I remember I, I was actually playing an oak and iron game, which is one of the games that inspired the system, where we deploy. You know, in that game, you deploy on the board, and then the wind section, the wind direction gets picked randomly. And this guy I was playing against, he got in a spot where he was like, the wind was not in his favor. And I was like, oh, I got this because I'm playing pirates and he's playing the English. I'm like, I got this guy. No question. But he just used the wind to his favor and made it so he couldn't move and just set up like a broadside arc and just blasted me. And I couldn't get to him without taking serious damage. And it's like, that's well, that kind of stuff. If you're into that, if you're into the naval strategy side of it, this system can help you get to it. You know, Yeah. if you've read enough books and you understand enough about that stuff, you could kind of figure that out yeah but it's also designed so that you don't like not everybody is into that you know and honestly like i don't run that much naval combat in my rope in my pirate board games mostly because i'm doing a lot of one shots and like meetups and convention games and you really got to get players who like hey can you read the rules in advance just so we don't have to spend half the session learning them but yeah once you once your players get it like i i think every good pirate campaign requires a large scale naval battle where you, each player has their own ship or there's like two players per ship and they're fighting a armada of preferably like you know a Europeans that then sea monsters and undead show up right <laughs> that's very similar to the the sort of ending of the the big battle that we had <laughs> yeah Aaron and I've been talking like how much do we throw at it is it just a kind of a Kraken vibe or is there like some other sort of dark pirates in the yeah. background yeah we actually have a we have a new adventure I don't think I have a copy here I got it in the back. We have a new pamphlet adventure for Pirate Board called the the Battle of Dead Man's Cove, which is actually an introductory to naval combat. And your players start with three ships, and there's two naval combats like built into the adventure. So that's a good way to if you if you have players who want to learn how it works and they want to explore that system, it's a good way to get that going. Sweet, excellent. So maybe this is a tough question for you, considering how much you love all this stuff. Can you recommend a movie that you think a lot of people haven't seen that you think is a great nautical or pirate movie? Well, I, I I think that in pop culture, the trope is a little underexplored. I like that there are five Pirates of the Caribbean movies, mm-hmm. but I think uh, they just don't really 
grab the I mean the first one's amazing and the second two are great if you're into them but the right. four and five I don't know so let me think let me think about this I think that if you have a long enough attention span for a show that black sales is really really good that's a star show but it gets into basically it's like the it's the Pirates of Nassau, but it's basically a prequel to Treasure Island. So you get to see Long John Silver and Captain Flynn like when they're getting the treasure, you know. That's that's pretty good, but I would say overall like there aren't a lot of good pirate movies. Like there are more pirate books and I really think that video games is the place where the where the I use the word trope, but where the where the genre, I should say, gets the best exploration is in video games. Because I just don't think that I think I think what happened, if I can, you know, deep dive a little bit on it, is that in the early era of of movie making, like pirate movies, like swashbuckling movies were the rage, like they're pretty easy to make. Like, yeah, they don't have, you know, krakens and maelstroms and whirlpools into the abyss, but like it's pretty easy to like build the deck of a ship and then like do a high action you know, pirate fl- flick. And I think they pretty much burnt the genre out for until, uh, until pirates of the Caribbean. Cause if you look at cutthroat Island, like they spent a ton of money on that movie and it sucked and they just like, didn't, it didn't really pop off. <laughs> and pirates of the Caribbean was, they're finally like, look, we're going to do this right. But then it just got into the, you know, like classic Hollywood rinse and repeat without really giving it the love. So I guess I guess I will, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with really you should just read on Stranger Tides. That's the real answer. There's not really a good movie, but on Stranger Tides is the book that Disney optioned for the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But the book is nothing like the movie. The book is incredible. It was the inspiration for the Secret of Monkey Island, and it is like it's basically a Tim Powers version. He calls it Secret History. We're basically oh. You've got all the pirates that we know about, but why did Blackbeard like leave his big ship and get killed by the English? Well, turns out Blackbeard's a necromancer, you know, and he's got all this mat. It's like, so it's, it's the book to read, you know? Nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Are there getting towards the end here? Are there any questions that we didn't ask you that we should have asked you or anything that you want to talk (laughs) about that we haven't mentioned yet? I mean, clearly I could talk about this stuff all day. So I guess the thing I should probably mention is that I'm working on the second, the next book, my next book, which is the Dark Caribbean. It's a setting book. I my goal is for it to be compatible, obviously, with Pirate Borg, but also it will be compatible with just like the OSR in general, with kind of BX D and D. You know, it'll have hit dice in there and armor class, maybe delineated in a different like color or something, so you know if you're playing with Pirate Borg, you can ignore those things. But it's going to be a big book. It's going to be bigger in page count and in format. And it's going to have maps of every island and region in the Caribbean, plus city maps for, you know, things like Atlantis and probably El Dorado. And we've got Maracaibo is like this dungeon city down in South America. It's going to be a big book. And it's it's the book I always wanted to make. And I, I originally, when I started making Pirate Borg, I actually like was called the dark Caribbean. And I was like, I'm going to write this for five E and pirate and for Morkborg. And then I ended up going off to this, you know, other category. So I'm happy to be like back working on that book. And it's going to be very emergent gameplay style where you're going to be given the characters and like what they might be doing and what might 
what might happen over their course of their story if the players don't do anything, but it won't be very like a like a 5e adventure where they kind of I mean, not not railroad you, but like I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. It's basically going to be like, okay, we're uh, on we're in Havana today. What's in Havana? Like, oh well, here are 20 tables that you can use to figure out. It, you know, world building through tables is the kind of like design ethos for the book. So yeah, I'm I'm in the beginning stages of actually writing writing it and laying it out. And of course, I don't just write. I don't just illustrate. I do like everything all at once. I'm actually like writing in my layout program, which is called InDesign. So it's a slower process, but when you're done with it, you have complete pages that are are ready to for print, so to speak. Instead uh, of having to format after, so yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, in, you know, I've talked about this a bunch on other shows, but I, this is a thing that I think is really one of the benefits of you know the mothership guys do this, and I do this. Andrew Kolb, who did Neverland and Oz, and he's working on Alice in Wonderland Five E. He does the same thing where if you if you do all three steps together, writing, illustration and layout, you have this like almost like a cheat code superpower to like fit things in or like, you know, oh, I need to make this guy's arm longer to fit next to this table. Like it's really I don't have to like talk to anybody else to get that done. So I think the end result comes with these like pretty cool spreads that are really designed for like, you know, like we don't ever spill over a table or paragraph to the next page. It's always contained right in front of you. Yeah. yeah I was just going to say, you can tell when people don't do that, right? Because that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Like that critical last sentence yeah. is on the next page, just dangling at the top. <laughs> yes. You're like, why? How, how I, did that I happen? mean, I think some of that is just bad. No offense to the people who do those books, but some of that is just bad layout. Like yeah. I think there are a lot of tricks and ways to get text to fit and not spill over. And I think in a good team, if that's happening, they, they would talk to the writers and be like, Hey, can you like take three words out? You know, but like, I don't, that's what I'm saying is I don't have to do any of that. I can be like, Oh, if, if I just delete this sentence, this fits here and this is a done page. You know? good. So love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's what I'm working on is the, the dark Caribbean, I guess. Other things are that that whole book will be like developed on my Patreon. So like, for example, I'm working on this spread for a, a town, like a pirate port generator, and it's going to have a, it's going to come with an asset canvas to make your own little town and then tables for how to use the different towns. That'll be out on my Patreon, hopefully this week. So that's kind of a cool thing that if you want to, you know, not wait for the Kickstarter, you can get in on the goods now. So. That's awesome. Well, I think we're kind of at our close, so we really appreciate you joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. We can't wait to get out there and see a little bit more about what you're producing. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, and I would love to be a part of the meetup situation yeah. that you have going in Denver and come out and actually play Pirate Borg with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we don't... It's not a Pirate Borg meetup, but of course, I usually am running Pirate Borg. You know, I'm <laughs> usually usually running playtests. I'll send you guys the link. It's Sweet. if this if this is making it in the show, it's meetup.com slash ship of the dead. It's a Colorado meetup.com group where we meet once a month at Night Owl Games in Littleton, Colorado. Okay. That um, and yeah, they're like they're super into it. So they we get both of the private game rooms and then as many tables as we need. And what we usually do is like run we've we've settled on two blocks a night for a while where we we're doing three. But basically, there's two blocks a night, usually three tables in each block. So it's like a little mini convention. So I like it because I get to come and 
run Pyroborg and play test some stuff that I'm working on with a group of people who aren't always the same group. And then I get to play or I get to play first. And, you know, it's usually games like, you know, I, I'm like on my third session in Dragonbane with this cool wizard character, or there's like guys will run lots of all, lots of OSR games, Black Hack, Dungeon Crawl Classics, you know, and anything that you can think of, like people will run it. So they're just, you can just sign up and run whatever you want. It's a great way to like, you know, have a built-in player base to run a new game. So very cool. I can't wait. Well, yeah, Luke, thanks again for joining us. And thanks so much for listening this week, my friends. Please check us out on Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy too. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.